Volume One, Chapter Twelve of The Antiquary. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Antiquary by Sir Walter Scott. Chapter Twelve. Beggar, the only freeman of your commonwealth, free above Scot free, that observe no laws, obey no governor, use no religion but what they draw from their own ancient custom, or constitute themselves, yet they are no rebels. Broom. With our reader's permission, we will outstep the slow, though sturdy pace of the antiquary, whose halts, as he turned round to his companion at every moment, to point out something remarkable in the landscape, or to enforce some favourite topic more emphatically than the exercise of walking permitted, delayed their progress considerably. Notwithstanding the fatigues and dangers of the preceding evening, Miss Wardour was able to rise at her usual hour, and to apply herself to her usual occupations, after she had first satisfied her anxiety concerning her father's state of health. Sir Arthur was no farther indisposed than by the effects of great agitation and unusual fatigue, but these were sufficient to induce him to keep his bedchamber. To look back on the events of the preceding day was to Isabella a very unpleasing retrospect. She owed her life, and that of her father, to the very person by whom, of all others, she wished least to be obliged, because she could hardly even express common gratitude towards him, without encouraging hopes which might be injurious to them both. Why should it be my fate to receive such benefits, and conferred at so much personal risk, from one whose romantic passion I have so unceasingly laboured to discourage? Why should chance have given him this advantage over me? And why, oh why, should a half-subdued feeling in my own bosom, in spite of my sober reason, almost rejoice that he has attained it? While Miss Wardour thus taxed herself with wayward caprice, she beheld advancing down the avenue not her younger and more dreaded preserver, but the old beggar, who had made such a capital figure in the melodrama of the preceding evening. She rang the bell for her maid-servant. Bring the old man upstairs. The servant returned in a minute or two. He will come up at no rate, madam. He says his clouded shoes never were on a carpet in his life, and that, please God, they never shall. Must I take him into the servant's hall? No, stay, I want to speak with him. Where is he? For she had lost sight of him as he approached the house. "'sitting in the sun on the stone bench in the court, "'beside the window of the flagged parlour. "'Bid him stay there. "'I'll come down to the parlour "'and speak with him at the window.' "'She came down accordingly "'and found the mendicant half-seated, half-reclining, "'upon the bench beside the window. "'Eddie Ogletree, old man and beggar as he was, "'had apparently some internal consciousness "'of the favourable impressions connected with his tall form, commanding features and long white beard and hair. It used to be remarked of him that he was seldom seen, but in a posture which showed these personal attributes to advantage. At present, as he lay half-reclined, with his wrinkled yet ruddy cheek and keen grey eye turned up towards the sky, his staff and bag laid beside him, and a cast of homely wisdom and sarcastic irony in the expression of his countenance, while he gazed for a moment around the courtyard, and then resumed his former look upward, 
he might have been taken by an artist as the model of an old philosopher of the cynic school musing upon the frivolity of mortal pursuits and the precarious tenure of human possessions and looking up to the source from which aught permanently good can alone be derived the young lady as she presented her tall and elegant figure at the open window but divided from the courtyard by a grating with which according to the fashion of ancient times the lower windows of the castle were secured gave an interest of a different kind and might be supposed by a romantic imagination an imprisoned damsel communicated a tale of her durance to a palmer in order that he might call upon the gallantry of every knight whom he should meet in his wanderings to rescue her from her oppressive thraldom after miss wardour had offered in the terms she thought would be most acceptable those thanks which the beggar declined as far beyond his merit she began to express herself in a manner which she supposed would speak more feelingly to his apprehension she did not know she said what her father intended particularly to do for their preserver but certainly it would be something that would make him easy for life if he chose to reside at the castle she would give orders the old man smiled and shook his head i wouldn't be baith a grievance and a disgrace to your fine servants my lady i have never been a disgrace to anybody yet that i ken of sir arthur would give strict orders you're very kind i doubt na i doubt na but there are some things a master can command and some he canna i dare say he would gar them keep hands aif me and troth i think they would hardly venture on that ony gate and he would gar them gar me my soup parritch and bit meat but trow ye that sir arthur's command could forbid the gibe o the tongue or the blink o the eye or gar them gar me my food with the look o kindness that gars it digests i will or that he could make them forbear i the sights and taunts that hurt i in spirit mar nor downright miscain besides i am the idlest oid carly that ever lived i don't be bound to hours at eatin and sleepin and to speak the honest truth i would be a very bad example in an ony weel regulated family well then eddie what do you think of a neat cottage in a garden and a daily dole and nothing to do but to dig a little in your garden when you pleased yourself and how often would that be try ye my lady maybe nights a twin candlemas and yule and if a thing were done to my hand as if i was sir arthur himself could never bide the stain still in i place and just seeing the same joyce in couples aboon my head night after night and then i have a queer humour o mine that sets a strolling beggar wit enough was word nobody minds but ye ken sir arthur is odd sorts o' ways and i would be jestin or scornin at them and ye wad be angry and then i would be just fit to hang myself oh you are a licensed man said isabella we shall give you all reasonable scope so you had better be ruled and remember your age but i am no that sarified yet replied the mendicant hod ance i got a wee super yestreen and i was as jolly as neil and then what would i the country about do for want old eddie ochiltree that brings news and country cracks for i farm steadyin to another and gingerbread to the lasses and helps the lads to mend their fiddles and the good wives to cut out their pans 
and plates rushwards and grenadier caps for the weans, and bust the laird's fleas and has skill at cowheels and horseels, and kens mair odd songs and tales than I the barony besides, and gars ilkabody laugh wherever he comes. Troth, my lady, I canna lay down my vocation; it would be a public loss. Well, Eddie, if your idea of your importance is so strong as not to be shaken by the prospect of independence, nay, nay, miss, it's because I'm mair independent as I am," answered the old man. "I make no merit on a single house than a meal o' meat, or maybe but a mouthful o't. If it's refused at I place, I get it another. So I canna be said to depend on anybody in particular, but just on the country at large." Well then. Only promise me that you will let me know, should you ever wish to settle, as you turn old and more incapable of making your usual rounds. And in the meantime, take this. Nay, nay, my lady, I don't take muckle siller at ance. It's against our rule. And though it's made me no civil to be repeating the like o' that, they say that siller's like to be scarce with Sir Arthur himself, and that he's run himself. Out of the thought with his honkings and minings for lead and copper yonder. Isabella had some anxious anticipations to the same effect, but was shocked to hear that her father's embarrassments were such public talk, as if scandal ever failed to stoop upon so acceptable a quarry as the failings of the good man, the decline of the powerful, or the decay of the prosperous. Miss Wardour sighed deeply. Well, Eddie, we have enough to pay our debts. Let folks say what they will, and requiting you as one of the foremost, let me press this sum upon you. That I might be robbed and murdered some night between town and town, or what's as bad that I might live in constant apprehension on't. I am no, lowering his voice to a whisper and looking keenly around him. I'm no that clean, unprovided for neither, and though I should die at the back of a dyke. They'll find as muckle quilted in this side blue gown as will bury me like a Christian, and guy the lads and lasses a blithe like wake too. So there's the Gubberlunzie's burial provided for, and I need nae mair. Were the like o me ever to change a note, what the deil do ye think would be sick fools as to guy me charity after that? It would flee through the country like wildfire that old Eddie, so to done sicken a like thing, and then I's warrant. I might grain my heart out, or anybody would guide me either a bane or a bottle. Is there nothing then that I can do for you? Oh, I, all I came for, my almost as usual, and was, I weighed befind a pickle schneeshin, and you might speak to the constable and ground officer just to overlook me, and maybe you'll guide a good word for me to Sandy Netherstains the miller. That he may chain up his muckle dog, I want to have him to hurt the poor beast, for it just does its office in barking at a gubberlunzie like me. And there's I thing maybe mar, but you'll think it's very bad o' the like o' me to speak on't. What is it, Eddie? If it respects you, it shall be done. If it isn't my power, it respects yourself, and it isn't your power. I maun come out with it. You're a bonny young lady, and a good un. And maybe a well tortured ane, but didn't you sneer away the lad level as you did a while since ane, on the walk between the Burry Bank, when I saw ye both and heard ye two, though ye saw nigh me? 
be canny with the lad, for he loves you well, and it's to him and not to anything I could have done for you that Sir Arthur and you won over yestreen. He uttered these words in a low but distinct tone of voice, and without waiting for an answer, walked towards a low door which led to the apartments of the servants, and so entered the house. Miss Wardour remained for a moment or two in the situation in which she had heard the old man's last extraordinary speech, leaning, namely, against the bars of the window. Nor could she determine upon saying even a single word, relative to a subject so delicate, until the beggar was out of sight. It was indeed difficult to determine what to do. That her having had an interview and private conversation with this young and unknown stranger should be a secret possessed by a person of the last class, in which a young lady would seek a confidant, and at the mercy of one who was by profession gossip general to the whole neighbourhood, gave her acute agony. She had no reason indeed to suppose that the old man would wilfully do anything to hurt her feelings, much less to injure her. But the mere freedom of speaking to her upon such a subject showed, as might have been expected, a total absence of delicacy. And what he might take it into his head to do, or say next, that she was pretty sure so professed an admirer of liberty, would not hesitate to do or say without scruple. This idea so much hurt and vexed her, that she half-wished the officious assistance of Lovell and Ochiltree had been absent upon the preceding evening. While she was in this agitation of spirits, she suddenly observed old Buck and Lovell entering the court. She drew instantly so far back from the window that she could, without being seen, observe how the antiquary paused in front of the building, and pointing to the various scutcheons of its former owners, seemed in the act of bestowing upon Lovell much curious and erudite information, which, from the absent look of his auditor, Isabella might shrewdly guess was entirely thrown away. The necessity that she should take some resolution became instant and pressing. She rang, therefore, for a servant, and ordered him to show the visitors to the drawing-room, while she, by another staircase, gained her own apartment, to consider, ere she made her appearance, what line of conduct were fittest for her to pursue. The guests, agreeably to her instructions, were introduced into the room where company was usually received. End chapter 12